0: Welcome to the monthly podcast, The Wealth of Generations. If you like to build true wealth for generations, this podcast is for you. The Wealth of Nations vs. Generations On March 9, 1776, Adam Smith published his book The Wealth of Nations. In the 18th century, the idea of nations was forming rapidly. In Europe, people were more loyal to their religions than their nations before the dawn of the 18th century. Wikipedia writes, with the emergence of a national public sphere and an integrated, countrywide economy in 18th-century England, people began to identify with the country at large rather than the smaller unit of their family, town, or province. The early emergence of a popular patriotic nationalism took place in the mid-18th century, and was actively promoted by the government and by the writers and intellectuals of the time. These developments were predominant, of course as well in the New World America. The 18th-century American mastermind Adam Smith must have been a trendy fellow when he wrote his book The Wealth of Nations. He published it just four months before the United States Declaration of Independence was signed, which is known as the day of the American nation's birth. His concepts on the division of labor, money, and debt helped tremendously set the course for the development of our current economic system that has made many nations very rich. The basic idea of the division of labor is that individuals specialize in their work skills, learn a trade, and earn money by selling these skills to employers or their customers. This arrangement turned out to be an ultra-effective way for nations to become very wealthy. The most recent example is China. Many people have been added to the Chinese economic system as employees over the last 20 years. As reported by many sources, in 2012, China became the second wealthiest nation on earth. But two significant developments happened at the same time when China grew more prosperous as a nation. A tremendous number of people started their businesses. It became very wealthy as well, whereas an even higher number of people and families became fong nu are housing slaves as they are often called in China. Based on a February 20, 2013, Bloomberg report, the number of housing slaves in China grew out of proportion. Bloomberg reports that many Chinese people will need a lifetime to pay off their mortgages, some pay more than 70% of their salaries to service their mortgages. It seems, even in China, with a culture of more than 5,000 years old with a long tradition of economic activities, has not learned or forgotten how to transfer wealth from generation to generation successfully. A Chinese saying is, "fu fubiyu san dai, which means that wealth does not pass three generations. It is an absolute rarity that the wealth of a family lasts for three generations. The first generation works extremely hard so that the second generation reaps the benefits and may see the value of hard work. But the third generation has forgotten all about it. By the time the fourth generation arrives, the wealth is squandered. So, I ask, is it possible to transfer and even grow wealth throughout more than three generations? Many factors prevent wealth from effectively being transferred, such as estate taxes, legal costs of probate, and excess consumption of surpluses before it can be invested. Therefore, it is crucial to instill a detailed understanding of social and financial capital into the next generation's daily life. There is a tendency for successful entrepreneurs to mistrust the sharing of responsibility and discretion over hard-earned assets. And this often results in an attitude that says in effect, I made it on my own, why can't you do the same? Of course, the fallacy of this logic is that time and circumstances change. An example that will come readily to mind is the generational difference between young men leaving the armed forces in the post-WW2 period when extensive GI benefits paid for a college education. In contrast, today's veterans' level of benefits mostly won't allow such investment. A further factor is a difference in temperament and talent between persons within families. Not all skills are of a business nature. Where would the world be without its artists, musicians, and skilled artisans? This book's essential purpose is to provide a source of information and inspiration to build and retain the wealth between generations. In contrast to Adam Smith's book, this book describes how individuals, families, and whole generations can build and maintain wealth through entrepreneurship and sophisticated investments. Small groups of people like families and larger groups like communities are the foundation for all nations' wealth. Since the dawn of the modern economy, however, nations' wealth has been the economy's driving force. It is about time that individuals, their families, and whole generations form a similar manifesto of economic progress. Only a fraction of families became wealthy over the past centuries, and all other families have to start building their financial foundation from scratch with each new generation. It is now time to give young generations a tool so that they can build wealth for generations. Even Adam Smith hinted in his work at the limits of labor division and the wealth of nations. He wrote that workers who are too specialized could develop mental mutilation, which could negatively impact a nation's wealth. It is time to think about how we can make families and whole generations wealthy. Today, almost everyone relies almost entirely on one or more salaries per household. When the salary fails to come in, most people start to struggle, begin to panic, and like drug addicts, they run for the next available job to satisfy their creditors. It does not have to be that way. Our forefathers and mothers worked hard to create the knowledge, wisdom, and tools that we can use today to live a more satisfying life. I will demonstrate how to use this knowledge and the tools that free us from financial dependencies, personal time limitations, and constant concerns about our job security and social status. Why did I write a book like this? After working for many years as a business consultant, advising large companies leveraging emerging business technologies, I have learned a lot about how businesses work. I have also seen how many failed and why they failed. I saw employees crawling to their job sites every morning, not always trying to hide their personal, often financial, problems while producing rather mediocre results. What changed my view of the financial world in my entire career was converting my hard earned retirement money account into a self directed retirement account, which freed up financial assets that I had to manage. With my savings and some additional financial assets that were available to me, I was now in charge of several financial assets in several different types of asset classes. Over the years, I have made many investment mistakes, but I have had several successes, which now provide my family with some income from capital. Instead of worrying about finding my next job, I worry now about how to invest our assets to provide us with more income from capital. Our income from capital is currently only a fraction of what I have received as a salary in the past. But my family and I now have much more free time, and we have adopted habits like fiscal fasting or spending detoxification, as some people call controlling their finances. We have to learn how to be smart investors instead of learning to be intelligent employees. Luckily, I started small years ago when I worked as an employee, preparing for my new job as a sophisticated investor. My task then was to take that little seed of wealth and turn it into something bigger. Something that my family can pass on to our future generations. In my book, I invite you to follow me on my journey. Building Wealth Without Greed or Fear I believe that fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. I know that, as Mark Twain concluded, courage is not the absence of fear, it is control of the same. I have experienced that greed and fear have prevented me from being financially free. I remember when I invested a large sum of our family money in precious metal. I often woke up at night to check on gold and silver prices to confirm that my fundamental assumptions for being in precious metals were still right. So, I learned over time to control my greed and my fears. This book demonstrates how we can build a kingdom of wealth without extreme desire and anxiety, it shows how to reduce financial risk over time. I wrote this book for people who want to build sophisticated wealth over generations. Necessary Endings When you read this book, you might realize, as I did along my journey, that we must forget things versus learning new things. We will see that it is essential for our families and as to put an end to bad habits. We will realize that we should focus on practices that increase our wealth. This book will help us identify our bad financial habits, and it will show us how we can put an end to some of our bad habits so that we can focus on the practices we benefit from. Albert Einstein once said Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Quitting bad habits and parting from some bad assets in our portfolio will free us, so we have more time to try out different passions things that bring out our portfolio's full potential. Much like a gardener prunes the branches of a tree so that they can produce more fruit, we will learn how to manage our financial assets so that dead assets will disappear from our portfolio and good assets become more reliable and stable. We will discover that many of our most valuable assets might not even be financial. We might notice our current financial assets held in our bank, And our retirement accounts might not be the right assets for us if we want to reach our personal goals. We do not have to manage our investments in detail, but we have to evaluate them over time or lose them sooner or later. Some of our assets may be our skills. But we need to consider, like a gardener, its plants, which ones to keep because they make us more prosperous and replace them because they hold us back. I am inviting you to read this book to leave the financial la la land and go with me on an exciting journey. Pride and Envy. Out of the seven vices, envy and pride are, in my opinion, the most threatening habits when it comes to building wealth. And envy is much worse than greed since an envious person is not only rendered unhappy by his envy, but that person also wishes to inflict misfortune on others, which will most likely spoil many valuable personal and business relationships. Some see pride as the worst vice there is, they say pride makes us blind. I often like to use the words ignorance and arrogance when I attempt to explain what pride is. Excessive pride tends to make us lose focus on facts and neglect the needs of our fellow citizens. Whether the world is heading for a prolonged economic emergency, like James Howard Kunstler describes in his book entitled The Long Emergency, or towards a robust economic period of growth, I recommend that you evaluate your emotions related to pride and envy. Whether the world economy is running on extremely cheap crude oil, like it did in the 1990s and late 2010s, or whether the world is fueled by unfordable expensive energy, I decided that I want to be a responsible and robust member of my community. I don't want to be a financial burden to my friends and family, and I don't want to be overly proud of what I have and what I am. Diligence and Patience I wrote this book to share some of my most essential insights in finance that are as unique as they are controversial, but also practical and straightforward. The book skips complicated financial lingo to increase readability for a broader public. I have gained insights during my career as a business analyst, business manager, board member, business owner, mentor, project manager, and investor. People tend to rely on the government and institutions to fix problems. Trapped in ever-increasing time commitments to their employers and financial creditors, people seem to forget how to cook fresh food, Parent their kids, maintain their marriages, or manage their financial assets. Contrary, during the COVID 19 health crisis of 2020, this changed for a short period. Suddenly, yeast, flour, and baking goods were sold out in stores because stay at home orders gave people finally more time away from their employers, which led to an unseen spike in demand for these goods. However, it became also clear that many families in the United States live paycheck to paycheck. When the breadwinners of these households lost their jobs, most of their families would be living on the streets within a few months without government help. If they don't find a job, they will likely depend on welfare and are dependent on people who were prepared financially and mentally. It is your choice to be among one group or the other. You might ask yourself how can so many families live paycheck to paycheck? In my opinion, it has all to do with uncontrolled emotions like lacking diligence and patience. It also has to do with financial education and the things they buy. Many people believe that they act like investors when instead, they are only consumers. Today, average investors buy financial products. In contrast, sophisticated investors buy assets and sell financial products. Almost all ordinary investors today invest by purchasing financial products that sophisticated investors have created. And most average investors do not know the difference between financial products and financial assets. Average investors who buy financial products focus exclusively on capital gains. Sophisticated investors purchase financial products to create value. Even though professional traders got pretty good at trading nowadays, they are not buying assets for income, they exclusively bet their investments would gain in value. In part 2, I will explain how sophisticated investors develop their assets. Short-term traders are speculators who buy and sell assets in a short period, make a profit, and move on. Long-term traders tend to regularly transfer money into a securities account with the hope of receiving a better return than from a savings account. Almost all investment management companies who manage retirement plans today operate on this principle. While trading is an excellent way to make money, traders miss a crucial opportunity in modern capitalism, creating value. Traders hope that their investment value will increase, but have no way to add value to the investment. This lack of control is why, in my opinion, traders are not sophisticated investors. Traders have a job. They are not sophisticated investors. There is one other dimension that is crucial for every investor, asset income. I have very successful friends who won't buy a larger asset if it doesn't produce any significant steady income from day one. If they have to put money down every month to keep the asset, they will not buy it. Their philosophy is if an asset does not produce income, I don't buy it. I wrote this book for anyone who wants to become someone who invests in financial assets instead of just buying financial products. If you care about your family and you are willing to make drastic changes in your life, If you feel the urge to build a robust and very unconventional asset portfolio for generations to come, then this book is for you. You will learn how to manage your assets in two dimensions. It is like driving a car on the Autobahn with no speed limit. You control two dimensions, direction and speed. You do not want to be too fast or will end up in the ditch after the next curve. If you invest, you control two dimensions, asset income and asset value. Both are equally important to reach your target destination. If you mismanage one, you will end up either in the ditch or in the wrong place. Gratitude You want to be a two-dimensional investor and appreciate and manage the income stream, portfolio income, and the capital gains at the same time, even if they are small. No asset can be a perfect investment unless you recognize and manage both. Warren Buffett sums it up to never lose. His approach does not mean someone else has to lose when you win. The best deals are always win-win deals. I wrote this book for people who want to learn more about two-dimensional wealth management. The goal of this book is to provide an alternative and, in my opinion, a far more dependable and future-oriented approach than standard practices offered by most investment advisors, banks, and wealth management firms. This book will show the reader how to appreciate every asset from its core step-by-step and increase wealth over time. Humility Early in my life, I pursued a career in economic informatics, business analysis, and project management as a business consultant. For almost 20 years, I worked for Fortune 500 companies and numerous startups in management and consultancy. I have worked in Munich, Frankfurt, Stuttgart, Paris, London, Tokyo, Monterey, Mexico, Singapore, and in many cities in the United States. Something happened to me. I realized that my career goals were counterproductive to what I wanted to achieve in my life. I have had great successes as a business analyst, consultant, and manager in many fields and industries for almost 20 years. But with each promotion, I only got more work and my assignments got riskier and more time-consuming, whereas my salary only grew moderately. In 2008, the inevitable change happened when I realized that I needed to change how I earn money. I stopped working in my good-paying job and took one year off. I could not wait to downshift and rearrange my life. First, I looked at all my financial and personal assets in great detail and decided to make sure they were all in order. I sold what did not produce any or enough income, and I restructured or paid off the debt that was attached to some of my assets. It was the most significant inventory of my entire life. I also felt a little bit like John Galt, a fictional character in the novel Atlas Shrugged. John Galt seemed to have disappeared one day for no apparent reason. I too, I retracted from the typical business-as-usual life to take care of my family matters, including our financial future. I am writing this book to express my thoughts and experience, which I made while learning to speak the language of someone who does not get paid for the work they do but for the financial results they produce. Investors get paid for results and not for their time spent on a job or the work performed. I welcome you to learn to speak a straightforward financial language of a small group of people who control a disproportionate amount of wealth and political power in the world today. I even urge you to learn that language and become more literate in financial matters for your good and our children. Your financial independence and literacy will increase the chance that your family, neighborhood, and city are afloat even in an economic crisis. Emerging technology is readily available and makes it easier than ever to become a steward of your financial future. Start small, get financially educated, get out of your comfort zone, and get out of the rat race. Are you ready? When the automobile powered by a combustion engine became popular in the 19th century, not everyone felt comfortable or even capable of controlling a machine propelled by explosive fuel. So, I understand when you think you are not ready to grab that steering wheel and press that pedal of your brand new, environmentally friendly, trendy, and super-fast vehicle of the 21st century called a sophisticated investor. But if you dare, take a seat and read on.